The readings taken were from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 23. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Some man from Bethlehem in Judea left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Ophram, and the other a woman named Ruth. About ten years later, both Marlon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons and, and without her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good props again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughter-in-laws, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together. And Orphan kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? the women asked. 
Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has left life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And this St Andrews is God's word. For the regulars here at St Andrews, you know that I generally just pick a book of the Bible and we just work our way through it passage by passage. All the bits that might encourage us, the bits that might challenge us, and yes, even the bits that might offend us or certainly offend our culture today. But it's January, a couple of weeks off, so we're taking a break from Romans and the Sermon on the Mount, just do a couple of one-off messages. Uh, and uh, so we're going to have a look at the courage of Ruth and God's providence in our suffering. So even if you aren't a Christian this morning, but you have an interest uh, in uh, ancient Near East literature or something along those lines, it's worth noting this, that generally speaking, if you look at writings of any books produced any time up to the 16th, 17th century, pretty much no book was written about women or by women. That's a slight exaggeration. There one or two I could find. I did actually do a bit of research to find how many. But you can count them on one hand uh, up to medieval times. And this book is a book about two women. But not only that, right? The book is about the woman, not of some high... One book in the Sumerian was written about a priestess and her father was a king. So she, she made the, the cut of getting something written about her. But this is a book written about actually a peasant girl of the lower socioeconomic classes. But what we mostly know about peasants of the ancient Near East is written by kings or scholars. The peasants didn't write it. And the peasants weren't the, usually the, the hero or heroines of the story. But Ruth is different. Uh, and it's, um, it's surprising. And when you start to look at the courage and the heroine of the story, it gets even better. So this morning, I just want to highlight her exemplary courage in the face of disaster, Ruth's courage. And then also look at overall how God's providence, God's sovereign hand was working in the midst of it. What I'm doing, there's a reason for that. I want us to be encouraged by Ruth. I want us to see how God's worked in her life and to let her example and Naomi's example and Boaz's example be an example for us. Right? These things are written for a reason. And also above and beyond that to see how God was at work in the midst of suffering and disaster. But first, the sublime courage of Ruth. Now, Naomi was, was Jewish. She moved town because of her husband's decision, because there was a bit of a famine going on. And they moved to the south part of Israel, you know, up from the south part of Israel to Mohab. Right? The move happened. Then her husband died, but her two sons got married to some local girls. And then about 10 years went by, and there were no, evidently no children from their marriage, not that we know about at any rate. And Ruth, it's fairly likely from the evidence there that she had no children in that marriage. And then uh, uh, those two sons died. So this is Naomi. She's just buried her husband. And ten years later, she's just buried her two sons, right? probably in reasonably quick succession, and she's just left there in Moab alone, utterly crushed by life's circumstances. So she decides to go head back to her hometown in Bethlehem. Who's had some terrible disaster in your life and you want to go back to mum and dad's place or something like that, right? I remember because I was a young kid. Yeah, so, so there's something like that going on. Right now, her two Moabite daughters, uh, Orpah, if I call them, but the name is a good way of saying it, Ruth, follow her on her way back. And then Naomi says to them, all right, 
Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I'm too old to marry again. And if that were possible, and I would get married tonight and be a son, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi, said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. Now, the ancient world was a brutal place, particularly for women who didn't have extensive family networks to protect them. Right, so Naomi was saying to her daughters, there's no future for you with me. Go back to the protection of your parents' home. I pray that you'll receive on your own people a husband and children. But if you come with me on this journey, there will be no husband, no children, no future, no protection. Now, the ancient Near East was always a very dangerous place for women. To give them context in terms of abuse and violence. But it was particularly dangerous at the time of Judges, where every person, the refrain goes in the book of Judges, did what they pleased in, the, in their own eyes. So just imagine New Zealand, no police, no military, and every young man could do whatever they liked in their own eyes. How would that work out? Just picture that, right? Right, that's what the situation was like. So Ruth's world was a bit like living in the time of the Mad Max movies, if you've seen the, uh, the old the movies. Or it was a bit like living, if you're living in Somalia with the gangs. Imagine having them as your next door neighbours. Right? This was the world. I'm, I, this was the world. Ruth's world was like living in a gang-ridden city. No police, no justice system. It's all collapsed. Like Haiti today, Somalia. And so it was showing either sublime courage or extreme foolhardiness for Ruth to go with Naomi in this very uncertain world she was living in. Now, if you think I'm overcooking the argument that she's living in a Mad Max world, you could read the book of Judges and then come back to me if you still think that's wrong. I, I think it's a pretty compelling case. But actually, even in the book of Ruth, we get to see the, the, the context of Ruth's courage. Right, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit here. You with me? We're going to jump ahead a bit in the future. This gives a context of the decision. So here's Ruth on this way, on the way to Bethlehem. There's Orpah. She's just given a hug and gone back. And Ruth is just clinging to Naomi. And she's saying, and Ruth's talking to Naomi. Naomi's talking to her, go back. There's no future. There's nothing but death if you follow me. Now, why was it courageous to do what Ruth did? Well, let's have a look. In Ruth chapter 2, Ruth arrives in Naomi. And here's the conversation that takes place with Boaz. While she was still there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. He's a, Boaz is a wealthy farmer of the district. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there and who does she belong to? Ruth's been working the day collecting stuff. And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a couple of minutes of rest in the shelter. Right. Bo Boaz then went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, key word there, my daughter, stay right with us here when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind with the young woman working in my field. There's a young unmarried woman. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. 
I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that are drawn from the well. Ruth fell at, him, fell at his feet when she heard this. This is not just a thank you. It's a falling at her feet prostrate before Boaz. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. All right, so let's, have a, let's break this down, what's going on in this text. Boaz's protection. Now, Boaz say, who does that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? In a Mad Max world, and this is a really tough woman, you know, we've got police and justice system, but if there is no police and justice system, then it'll be awesome to have some man look after you, except if you happen to be my wife, you know, because I probably couldn't protect, you know, from a Mad Max world. I'd be, I'm more prey than not, but, you know, imagine back in the day, those men, you know, like that, right? That, that sort of matter, you're, you're having the alpha male, right? Having those men, so if you didn't have an extended family, of guys to look after, you're in serious trouble in the Mad Max world of no judges. Who belonged, a woman belongs to matters a lot. Now that's not clear here, the next statement. Boaz went over to Ruth, listen my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather the grain. Don't go to any other field, stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting, then follow them. Ruth, don't go to any other farms in the district. What would happen to her if she did? Just think about that. Right? And when you're working on my farm, I want you to stay within the eyesight of all the other young unmarried women. Do not leave their eyesight protection. Mad Max will. And then finally, uh, uh, she, uh, I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. Right? This is a family show, so I'll let you discern what would have likely happen to Ruth if Ruth had gone to another farm. I'll let you figure that one out. Right? But whether you've connected the dots or not, Ruth's no idiot. She's worked it out. Ruth falls prostate at his feet. Right? This, you've just saved my life. That's what she's saying. And you've saved my life as a foreigner. Uh, I, a few years ago, I was in the Laidlaw, and I had a colleague who was training. His name was Pat. I've forgotten his wife's name. We sort of just did brief interactions there in Laidlaw about 15, 20 years ago. And he was a, a missionary working in, in, in North Africa, in the Muslim part of North Africa. And uh, he was working in one of those countries. I won't say which one. I won't give the details of it because uh, it's jumping on YouTube, but working building a church in that area. And he just happened to be working in the area after uh, President George Bush decided to invade Iraq, right? And to weapons of mass destruction. Do you guys remember that? Well, needless to say, the Muslim world wasn't super happy with George Bush Jr. when that happened. And there was a number of tourists who were disappearing and they have never found out what ever happened to them. So at this stage, there was this couple working in this area where there was no police, no nothing else, and this is an apartment block, sort of gangland area of this North African city. And she went out to go shopping one day, and as she was walking back around this time, she suddenly noticed that one Muslim man started walking, then another, another, a group of around a dozen of them started closing in on her. And she started praying, knowing that dying was going to be the least of her problems that day. And as she started walking, suddenly this Muslim man stood out in front of her, and she thought, this is it. But the Muslim man smiled and said, come daughter, quickly. And she walked, crossed over the threshold, was in her neighborhood apartment block. And that young Muslim man stared down the dozen guys and said, this is a daughter of this block. You lay a finger on her, you lay a finger on every man in this block. And the dozen men, Muslim men sort of stood there, so this young guy just staring down the 12 of them. They calculated the cost where they wanted a two, 300 men of that block coming out uh, with gear to bash them. And they decided, today is not a day to go kill an English, a British uh, a young woman. And so she survived. That was the situation that Ruth was facing, right? It's incredible, extreme danger. Ruth faces this, and now, now I want you to go back, right? Back to the road, right? So we've now gone ahead, we've seen Boaz and what Boaz has given, we've got a context of this Mad Max world, and now here is, is Naomi saying to Ruth, look, Orpah's made the smart court girl, she's gone back to her tribe and her family for protection. 
Do you think there's a future husband for you? Do you think I can get you one? Do you think I can protect you? I can't even protect myself. There's nothing for you if you go with me but young death and probably a horrible one. Choose life, Ruth. Don't be a fool. And it's at this point that Ruth replies, Don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Sounds like a marriage bell, doesn't it? A little bit, doesn't it? Has that sort of vibe? Christians have used it as a marriage bell. Why does it have that sort of that, that eternal uh, context to it? Right? Because you know, it's just a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. There's a reason and a context here. Ruth, at this point, she knew she'd been married for 10 years and not had children. Right? And having children was the most important thing. So she knew that it's unlikely any person going to want to marry her when the chances of having uh, uh, children was going to be so slim. Right? So she knew that there's going to be very few chances for marriage for her. And there she is. And she's saying effectively, yeah, Naomi, I get it. There is nothing for me. I know what happens to women in this world. I know I've got no husband on the way. But you know what, Naomi? I want to go with you anywhere. Because normally when a wife would die, she'd be died next to her husband. And she'd be buried next to her husband, right? You know, we die and they'd be buried next to the children. And she was saying, I know you're the only family that's left in the world for me. But you know what? I want to live with you. I want to support you and look after you. And when you die, I will die and I will be buried next to you. You are my family. There is such a call of courage. I want to look after you and throw everything away. She knew the cost she was paying. Ruth's no idiot. She knew that she was giving up everything to look after her mother-in-law. And I pondered that. Why, Ruth? What were you thinking? What sort of crazy-ass idea would you have to throw it all away to look after you? After Naomi? Why would you do that? I pondered about the sublime courage this Moabite widow, to throw her whole life away. What caused her to put herself in such extreme levels of danger? For what? She couldn't have known that she was going to strike the cosmic lottery and end up on Boaz's farm, right? She couldn't have known that. She didn't know that that was actually the destiny. She was expecting Mad Max's farm, you know, something else like that. And she did it anyway. Incredible. I uh, love history, and so one of the parts of history I love is studying the history of war. And there's many horrific stories that come out of it. One that grabbed my mind, just the absolute tragedy of it, was this young private. There were two young men. They were friends in the trenches. They were like brothers in arms. And every time they'd go over the top, they'd go over the top together. They'd eat together. They were the best friends. And one time their battalion, the English battalion, was sent over the top and advanced into the machine gun fire, into the artillery fire. And normally they'd be sticking together. But in the midst of the smoke and the carnage, they lost track of each other. And most of the battalion was wiped out. But one of them got back into the trenches after the failed attack. And he started going up and down the trenches trying to find out who's left, you know, do the roll call. And when he found his friend wasn't part of it, he started climbing the ladder to go back over the top, right into it. And the officer said, what are you doing? He said, I'm go I've got my friend there. I'm going over the top to go get him. He may be, he may be wounded. You're not going to survive. Do you think, look, it's in broad daylight now. Everyone German will see you on the side if you go over at certain death. And his friend said, I don't care, I'm going over the top. A few minutes later, about half an hour later, and miraculously, the young man was coming back with his friend over his shoulder, like in the fireman's lift. And the bullets were whizzing and the thing, and then he fell into the, into the, into the, uh, into the trench. 
But his friend was dead, and he'd been shot in the chest and was starting to cough up blood. He was dying. There's no way for him to get into the casualty clearing station. And the officer said, you're, you're dying, and, you, and your friend's dead. You've thrown her all away for nothing. What were you thinking? And the guy said, through the coughing of blood as he's dying, he said, but it wasn't thrown away for nothing. When I arrived, my friend was still alive, and he said, I knew you'd come back for me. I knew you'd come back for me. And he said, I could die with my friend and be buried with him. And that's what happened to him. Ruth's call was to step over the trench with Naomi. Same decision. Do you guys get me? And, and if you don't believe me, look what Boaz says. Right? This Boaz gets it. Boaz is the story of Ruth's sublime courage goes like wildfire around Bethlehem. But I also know everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live among here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Her courage and love, her character and selflessness brought her under the wings of Boaz, under the wings of God, and touched Boaz's heart in a way I suspect, this is my impression, it's not explicit in the text, but I think I'm on good biblical grounds to say so, it touched his heart in a way that none of the other women he could have married did. Now, if you know Boaz the story, Boaz later marries Ruth, right? And they have the child, and it comes the line of, of King David. And I pondered that. Boaz is wealth. He could have married any of the young, beautiful virgins of the district. Why did he marry Ruth? Boaz, I argue, marries Ruth because of her courage and character. Ruth was shining like a light in this crazy, horrible world. If you read through Judges, it's just horrible, 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 horrific. In fact, some of the passages of Judges you cannot barely read in a church service out loud as part of public reading. It would be really difficult for me to do an exegetional series of Judges. If you've read the passages, it's just you can't have younger children in it. And Ruth was right in the midst of that. Right? She didn't have to just hear it, she had to live it. And here she was, thrown away, and Boaz saw that courage. I've often thought, actually, about the courage of King David, who was, uh, of course, Ruth's great-grandson. And I wonder where did David get such courage? Of course, it came from the Lord. But actually, courage is genetic, it's upbringing, and it's choice. Right? Nature, nurture, and choices. And I just wonder whether God looked through the whole Middle East and found the most courageous woman in the Middle East and decided, I've got to have your DNA as part of the clan of King David. It's going to change the entire world. And the courage she brought modelled down to David. The suffering of Naomi and Ruth was sitting up the line of King David that would change the whole world. So Ruth's sublime courage, the call she made on that road to Judah would echo through history and become part of the most popular book in the world and become part of God's word. I wonder if I was to go back on that road where Ruth couldn't know she's just buried her husband, she's Orpah's just left, and Ruth is clinging to Naomi and saying, I'm going over the top of the trench to die with you, Naomi. I wonder if she could have noticed what the Lord was going to do through that courage that single woman had. But it's interesting, Naomi doesn't quite get it. All right, so Naomi, uh, uh, when, when she sees this, she just like she doesn't say, "Oh, wow, that's a really impressive statement of courage and love." I'm so thankful. She just says, "Oh, well, you're that committed." Huh? No, I guess so. And she just says nothing. So Naomi wasn't much of a conversation partner for Ruth on the way back to Bethlehem. And now this picture, right? She arrives in Bethlehem. Here's Ruth. She's tired. She's covered in dust. She's carrying probably a lot of the belongings that belongs to Naomi. And Naomi, we know, she doesn't work a day in the field the next day. She's too old to, is my suspicion. 
And so Ruth's arrived in Bethlehem, a village she doesn't know, and she's already planning to get up the next day to provide for food for Naomi. And there she is exhausted, and there's Ruth, there's Naomi, and this is what Naomi says when she arrives in. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. Naomi means pleasant. Uh, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such a tragedy to me, upon me. So there is Naomi, and she's saying, I left full, I had all these things, and now I'm empty, I've got nothing, I've got absolutely nothing. And there's Ruth standing right next to her. Are you with me? And I thought, Naomi, open your eyes. Do you not see what the Lord has done? But then I felt in the midst of my own life, oh my goodness, I'm a Naomi, not a Ruth. This last year, I've cried out, Lord, you're taking everything from me. You're taking everything from me. And the Ruth's example has been a quiet rebuke to me this last year. She had courage. She had her own losses. But she was facing life, knowing that in that moment she would have no husband and no children. But she was setting course to, to be with Naomi and to do though she was going to change the world. But Naomi was in the midst of that suffering. She couldn't see it. But I've realized also that Naomi lost her husband and her two sons. It is very difficult when you're feeling the sore that's chopping off your arm to be thankful, God, that you've got another arm and two legs. It's very hard in that moment to be thankful for what you do have. Right, I get it. I'm not here to rebuke Naomi. But if I was to be there, I would say, Naomi, 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 open your eyes. Look who's next to you. Look how tired she is. Look at the dust that's on her. Look, she's going to get up tomorrow morning and work to provide for you. She's throwing everything away for you. Open your eyes and see what the Lord is doing. The barley harvest has just begun. But Naomi's pain was there. She couldn't yet see it. She couldn't yet see what the Lord was going to do. God was working in and through Naomi's pain to bring his purposes to pass. Do you believe that the Lord might be working in the midst of your pain and suffering, the difficulties you go through to bring God's will to pass? This year, no matter what we face, no matter what you face, no matter what pain you go through, the hope of the Christian faith is that God is in the midst of it. He brings meaning to our suffering. He is using it to bring his will to pass. And he calls on us to have the endurance of Naomi, the sublime courage of Ruth, and the honor and chivalry of Boaz. These are examples given to us for a reason. And we don't do this, by the way, on works. We need the Holy Spirit in us to do this. But we need to cry, Lord, work in my heart to give me the attitude and courage of Ruth. Help me see that in the midst of the difficulties of my life that you are at work. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. The thing that Ruth perhaps hadn't fully realized when she made that decision that day was that when she made a decision to say, your God will be my God, she was changing her eternal destiny. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Boaz, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And the reward wasn't actually Boaz. The reward was that her name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the reward. Are you under the wings of God Almighty this year? Whatever comes, I know one place I want to be. 
and that's nestled by the little chick under the wings of my father. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word and the example that Ruth has given, that you have put one of the only books in the ancient Near East about a peasant woman, the only one that I can think of, and you've given it for a reason. Oh Lord, that this year we would look to you, would look to the examples of some of the people like Joseph and Ruth and others in the Bible, and that by your spirit you would work in us to follow your path, that we would know in the midst of the suffering we go through, that for those who know you and accord according to your purposes, you will bring it all for good in the end. You will bring about your providential will. And Lord, may every single person here be under your wings this year. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.